Welcome to the Televerse, the podcast just for TV. Because it's great, we're lucky they make so many fine programs to see. Your host, Owen Kate, like to debate the merits of all that they've seen. Comedy, genre, reality, drama, and anything that's in between. Welcome to the Televerse, let's the show. Hello and welcome to the Televerse. This is Kate Kalsley, judged as ever by Noel Kirkpatrick. And Noel, I have an important question for you. Has Has cold and flu season hit you up in you know the 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 pacific northwest yet uh not to my knowledge um i benefit in a number of ways of having limited exposure to the public Mm -hmm. and having limited exposure to children of all ages (laughs) um so it helps me maintain not being sick but it's also been relatively kind of warm um really up until literally today um it's been really really warm so i think that that has also played a role i imagine that we'll be on a sliding scale really soon um because pharmacies and everything are already advertising it's time to get a flu shot which by the way please don't get a flu shot just yet wait at least until the end of october is kind of when you want to get a flu shot recommended by the cdc you should wait a little bit um so but no thankfully but I'm guessing from your question that it has hit the greater Chicago area. <laughs> yes. I So far this week, I, I had a student sick, um, and, like, on short notice, couldn't do the re- our recital last week. Uh, this week, I uh, had I had another student, well, two students, actually. The parents had to go into urgent care because they had the flu. Um, oh, no. So, yeah. So, so, yeah. And I've been fighting something off for a little bit, which is now... I, it's winning. So, um, I, I have big, I, earlier today I finished my bake off right up for the AB club and then put hit publish and then went, we're going to have soup. (laughs) It was a very big, it was like, we're putting on, we're putting on pants for this guys. We're putting out outside pants and not inside pants and we're going to go get us some soup. So I have a giant thing of it that I will be, you know, what kind of soup? Chicken noodle. Chicken okay. noodle from Panera, which okay. I think is pretty pretty decent. I am just so spoiled. I can't do canned soup from the store oh. anymore. Yeah. Because it just tastes like salt. Yeah. And, yeah. So, anyways, so, but the point being, I'm a little under the weather. I'm behind us of my viewing because of that, because I've just been sleeping whenever I'm not working. Um, and so, you're going to carry us through a couple of these shows this week. Um, but I am confident that I remember most of the DuckTales that I watched and also a couple other shows. I, I, I fell asleep through, like, I watched the presidential debate, but actually was, like, asleep by, like, 8.30, so didn't watch most of it. So yeah. we're not talking about that, and I will, I may get some of these details wrong on this show, so I look forward to you correcting me about Black Lady Sketch Show and DuckTales as we talk about those, this week's TV. I, I can do that, and I will do it in a very gentle way, especially as we discuss Lauren Ash's role on DuckTales. No, wait, Julie <laughs> Bowen. It's Julie Bowen. Julie Bowen. Yeah, we'll, we will be talking about Lauren Ash, though, when we talk about She-Ra Season 3, which is yes. coming at the end of the show. This was uh, our, our focus segment, spotlight segment this week, um, and that's only six episodes. It was on, I like got to, I was like, wait, there must be more, but it's only six. I can deal with this like half-season thing on Netflix. Yeah, um, it's curious. I think that, and we'll get into this, but it, it worked really well with She-Ra in a way that 
it didn't work well when they started transitioning that to Voltron to a certain degree. But mm-hmm. again, I'll talk about it. But um, listeners, also, I want everyone to know that that Lauren Ash tee up was not planned, scripted in any way, shape, or form. It just worked really, really well. Well, yeah. Now, now uh, you have no doubts that we really don't plan this stuff. We're not good at bits. Nope. It's not our thing. Oh, no, no, no. I'm good at okay. bits. You're okay, but as a collective, I bring down yes. the average. So there, so we are not good at bits. Um, some some TV news this week: The Righteous Gemstones has been renewed for season two. I have not watched any of this, though. I do enjoy. I have enjoyed Danny McBride's other series. I don't know if this one's for me, so I haven't. I haven't really dipped into it. Have you checked this one out yet? No, no, I don't have a huge degree of interest in it. Um, mm-hmm. So I just kind of went, I'm okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. We're more excited about uh, the renewal of Queen Sugar for season five, which shouldn't mm-hmm. have taken until finale day, but for whatever yeah. reason, that's when they decided to announce it. So yay, Queen Sugar has the season five uh, renewal. It'll be back next year. Yeah, I figured that this, I figured that they just like let everyone know and then announced it. Mm-hmm. Is what I'm hoping happened. <laughs> yes. Um, especially uh, because you haven't seen it yet, but especially given how things sort of end, um, I really hope that they've had time to start getting running on stuff. That is ominous. More on that in our week in TV. Um, also in TV news, apparently, we were talking about this off mic, apparently we thought this was already known, but it wasn't. Gillian Anderson is going to be playing Margaret Thatcher on The Crown, and she's going to be amazing. I'm really looking forward to that. That was confirmed this week. Yeah, this was a really weird bit of news in that, like, I was just like, I thought we knew this already. Because um, a number of people were, like, pretty upset about it, too, which I was just like, again, I thought we knew this already. Um, because it's like, Gillian Anderson, yay! Margaret Thatcher, oh. I don't want to like Margaret Thatcher. She was awful. Um, there, there, there is no way to not like Gillian yeah. Anderson. Right. Oh, no. no. It's, yeah, it's a real it's a real tug of war internally of like, oh, some they cast someone I really love to play Margaret Thatcher. It's like, yeah, did you want them to cast someone you hated to play Margaret Thatcher? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah, difficult. Um, also in casting news this week, and our last bit of TV news, uh, SNL announced there some of the, they have three new cast members for next season, which is I think season forty five of the Something show. Something like that. Yes. Yeah, yes. and uh, among of the three, there's a staff writer, Bowen Yang, who is, will be now promoted up to being one of the cast, um, and he is a notable addition to the cast because in the 45-year run of SNL, he is the first Asian-American cast member ever. Yep, only He's took 45 also, years. Only took 45 years. He's also only the fourth queer person who was out at the time of, of casting. In 40, 45 years. Um, those other people, by the way, include two men who were each on for one season um, and Kate McKinnon. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hopefully yeah. it's going to be more of the Kate McKinnon route where, like, they can stay on the show for a while if they want to and, you know, you know really yeah, blossom and get more opportunities and everything. So yay for Bo and Yang. And that's really exciting. And 45 freaking years, but better than 46, I guess. Um, but yeah. that's really tempered when then you look at somebody else that they uh, just hired, who is Shane Gillis. Um, and it took 
a day, not even, for uh, video clips um, from some podcasts that he does or something to come out of him using ethnic slurs and really offensive language about, like, everyone. Yes. Um, and this is not, like, some, oh, we dug into the deep, dark past. This is from last September. This is yes. from a year ago. So this was, and this is, like, hours of content. So, um, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, and I, I just it's it's so bad on any number of levels. Um, but it's also one of those things of like the response to it has also been just mind-boggling of like people decrying this whole cancel culture sort of thing and being like, "Yeah, it's terrible that they took this from his past." And it's just it was a year. Like yeah. this just happened. People don't work with him in his home city because of this stuff. Mm -hmm. And I'm very much like, what is your vetting process, Lord Michaels, that you didn't find this thing from a year ago? Or, Um, like, ask around about this guy. Yeah. So it's one of those things of, like, people outraged that this is being something that is a thing is, like, no, this isn't like a James Gunn sort of thing where... We all kind of knew, but also it was eight years ago type of thing. This no, it just it just happened. Like within the time span of a career, it just happened. Um, and his apology is very much one of those. I'm I apologize to anyone who was actually offended. Uh, but I'm a comic, and I just like to push boundaries. Okay, and sometimes that doesn't work. But I, I just comedy t- involves risks. Okay. So, you know, check yourselves. Okay, anybody uh, for is, whom that works, like that yeah. it counts as an apology to you or you think that is in any way sincere, in any way valid and legitimate, I just, just go away. Just don't, just stop listening to our podcast. It's just, just, oh God, like that's, is that worse than not saying anything? I feel like that's actually worse than if he hadn't responded to the criticisms. Well, it's good that you say that because NBC and SNL have not released any sort of statement about this at all. Um, They're playing it real slow and real quiet, hoping this just blows over and everyone forgets about it um, by the time the season premieres, Um, to which I go, yeah, I don't think that's going to happen. It's it's not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) How are you? How's your new female cast member and your new... A uh, gay Asian cast member gonna like working with your new sexist, racist, homophobic cast member. Yeah, way to go, guys. Way yep. to go. So again, that was that's Shane Gillis. You can do your own research, listeners, and and see what you think. Uh, you know, because sometimes these, you know, like there, there's a discussion of like how much is, oh, is sensitivity to things, how much is pushing boundaries, how much is. Um, performative wokeness and you know on behalf of people being outraged and all this stuff but just listen there's plenty of audio there very when they're like you know let's make the great comedy of referencing uh chinese restaurants by just replacing r's and l's that's the level of comedy you're dealing with that needs to be protected from the uh outrageous uh, cancel culture who's trying to bring this guy down um including it's us not even yeah and it's not even funny like I watched like the two minute clip that surfaced and surfaced was found was found and like released mm-hmm. and again it was easily found of yeah. like this isn't this isn't even good observational type of humor let alone there's on a level here. Of, there's yeah. there's nothing here in humor it's like 
yeah, there's too many damn restaurants in Chinatowns. And it's just like, I'm confused. Why is this funny? Oh, no, there's only ever one person in there. And it's just like, again, I'm confused. And now we're going to do noodle jokes. Okay. And then a translation issue. Okay. Yep. Uh, Yep. And listeners, this is the part of the bit that we can talk about that isn't as racist as the rest of it. So just go go check it out if you are interested. And if you aren't, congratulations. You don't need to be. Um, Yeah. I look forward to not talking about this guy very much. Um, So that wraps up our TV news for this week. Now we're going to listen to just this delightful gift of TV music that happened this week, which was um, apparently on Disney Channel, there was some sort of like theme song tape takeover thing happening. I'm assuming it was like between multiple shows, but yeah, what I, it resulted in was in this week, second week of DuckTales fabulousness, it resulted in a couple different DuckTales theme song remixes, including this glorious one you're about to hear, which is Glom Tales. Um, enjoy. We'll be right back with our week in TV. good <laughs> we um, ran out of budget but it's glom tales oh i loved the the with the, the it will work for this age group oh it's great very good rhyming <laughs> well done um i'm excited about glom tales we're both excited about DuckTales. you're very excited about terrace house and i look forward to hearing about it you're gonna we're gonna kick off the weekend tv with noel catching us up with terrace house tokyo part one this is 2019 2020 i'm gonna talk a bit about so you think you can dance which had its penultimate episode um they're gonna have their finale next week that has like the results and everything and all like the the dancers and the judges favorite routines of the season and everything but i'll talk a bit about our final competitive episode which is top four perform then we'll both talk a little great british bake-off a biscuit week and noel will will spoil away and let us let me know what what he thinks of the queen sugar season finale i am um then a black lady sketch show had its season finale born at night but not last night and we'll run things out with ducktales which had its season two finale along with a bunch of other episodes um the golden army of cornelius Time Foon! No, that's not. Time Foon! That's better. There you go. Yeah. Glom Tales! Ooh! <laughs> and the richest duck in the world, followed by Moonvasion! Um, I'm not. This is why I'm not a voiceover person. This is it's. It is known. Okay, let's let's cleanse the palate. I'm gonna just head, hide my head in shame here while you talk to us, Noel, about Terrace House Tokyo 2019 2020. Um, how how's the house? How's the group of people? What do you think so far about Terrace House? Okay, so the house is really really good. They're um located in Tokyo this season. Uh, back from um both 
having taken two seasons off, one season in Hawaii and then another season uh, up north of uh, north of Tokyo, um, a solid bits way north, closer to uh, Nagano. Anyway, so the house is a sort of three story affair of a really plush living room, um, dual kitchen sort of area, which isn't uncommon. They have an indoor pool. Um, and then a second floor and then a roof uh, area as well that they can hang out in that's completely uh, walled. So they have like a privacy wall at the top of the roof. Um, so it's all very nice. And it's it's a, it's a little, it's kind of similar to the house in Boys and Girls in the City, which is the first Netflix season, but it has a more homey aesthetic, I think, than the kind of brutalist, a minimalist aesthetic that the first season on Netflix had. So the house is really nice. I really like the house a lot. Um, the um, what was your second question? I've already forgotten. <laughs> the people. The people, right. Okay, so the people are actually all really, really good at least so far that I've watched. I've watched the first seven episodes and normally Terrace House comes in like eight episode chunks and because the show has been confirmed to run all the way through the Summer Olympics already. Like, they opened with that. They're just going to run basically from now through the Summer Olympics, uh, which is really cool uh, that we're going to get this much Terrace House. Um, but it's also just really smart because Netflix is like, we want to we wanna maximize this as much as possible because um, this is a big deal that they're hosting the Olympics again. Um, that we get 12 episodes per part, which is means that there's a... I was there's a bit more in terms of what's going to be coming forward, I think. And so I'm hitting the point in which things are about to start getting really heated, but this group is generally really, really good. We've got an illustrator, two actors, um, another musician, fitness trainer that's super into parkour and a part-time retail employee. Um, But everyone is, everyone seems really good. I feel like Um, there's, there's a good mix of like personalities, but no one's really kind of chafing against one another, which I really, really like as well, even though that's about to start changing, I feel like, because everything's kind of coming to head. Because the other big thing that's happening is that everyone is a lot more subtle in how they're approaching romance, but they're more open about it as well. Um, because the youngest person in the house is 20. Um Whereas we have a 31-year-old, the musician, Kenny, and then a 28-year-old, Kaori, who is the illustrator. Um, and then everyone else is in like their mid-20s, uh, with the exception of Risiko, who's 21. But there's just a, with the exception of Ruka, who's 20, um, there's a degree of maturity among everyone that sort of has everyone sort of... Um, being not exactly open about their romantic pursuits, but definitely there's less hemming and hawing, I feel like, about should I ask this person out? What should I do? How can I do this? Among almost everyone other than Ruka, who seems to be like wavering back and forth as a 20-something who acknowledges that he, um, a 20-year-old who acknowledges that he is a little awkward and uncomfortable around women, which goes away by the third episode um at least as the women in the house are concerned so a love quad angle sort of forms really really quickly um 
but it's been played really interestingly, at least in terms of the editing, and has slowly turned just into a love triangle um, now, which is also really interesting about how the currents of attraction and how they respond to one another is shifting around a whole lot, um, particularly among Haruka and uh, Ritsuko uh, around Kenny, uh, Kenji, who is the musician. And just right as of like the last episode I watched, we're hitting a uh, romantic triangle of the two, these two women pursuing Kenny and doing it in like really kind of like politely aggressive ways of like, we're just how they're engaging one another of like, I'm, I'm going to ask him out and I'm going to kind of flirt with him in front of you. Okay. Well, I'm just going to leave and then come back and just how they're like doing this. It's all both very catty, but also really just passive aggressive, but never in like a way that feels horrible or gross or tired or any sort of way. It just ends up ratcheting up a degree of tension, however, for the house, which is also really interesting to watch. Um, so this season has been much more heavily focused on romance um, than even even some of the other previous seasons, as everyone sort of feels kind of set with their career paths, or in the case of one of the guys, uh, Shohei, whose career path is basically, I just want to be good at all the things that I enjoy, which includes acting, modeling, being a writer, and also doing interior um, construction and demolition. And I just want to do all of those things really, really well. And people who say I need to specialize in one thing are wrong. And also people who have that mentality are just going to die off soon anyway, is literally something he says. And it's very weird. Um, (laughs) Okay. That's yeah. uh, Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a lot, uh, but it's still really good. And I know that I'm, he- I'm heading for a big climax with the Romantic Triangle um, in episode nine, because I peeked at the episode descriptions because I can't help myself. But um, I'm really eager to see what happens going forward. I know that two people leave after within two episodes of this part being finished. Um, so I'm really curious to see on what terms these people are leaving. And... Yeah, but I think it's generally been really compelling. I'm really glad that they're back in Tokyo. Um, And I think that there's just a lot more as things maybe come to a simmer romantically within the house amongst everyone. that They can start like expanding out into looking at hopefully people doing work projects and that kind of a thing. Because we haven't really seen too, too much of that apart from Ritsuko uh, doing some parkour training, which was fun to watch okay no that sounds really interesting the the i mean it's always down to the personalities but that age Uh range is really uh an interesting way to do it and and frankly i (laughs) while the passive aggressive um posturing for for each other between the ladies just sounds exhausting it also sounds like it has the potential to be hilarious and certainly with the 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 spectators right there's a lot of fun to be had yeah And the commentators were all having a real blast with everyone um, this season, which helps, again, because they're a big part of the show um, in terms of how you enjoy it and how you engage with it. And so they're really keyed into like this, and it makes the entire experience a lot more enjoyable. And because like you've like I've discussed before and like you've seen of like their commentary 
provides an outlet for you as you're watching it. And it helps you navigate the narrative in a really good way. Um, the other thing I do want to mention is that uh, Yamachan, the uh, commentator with glasses, um, who is sort of like the troll of the group, got married over the summer. <laughs> okay. And he is officially the only married person on the panel now. And there's a 15-minute segment devoted to his marriage in episode 6. Um, and all of it, of everyone talking up to him about it, and like questions about, so now that you're married, you're going to start rooting for true love? Or are you, are you, but just because you're married doesn't mean you're hot now. Please remain our lovable loser. And all this sort of fun stuff of like, these people deeply care about this man, but also he serves a really important function on the show in terms of the persona that he presents. Um, but he got married to this relatively um, serious and well-regarded actress. Um, and it just like caused a minor sensation because of his whole public persona and who she is uh, within the Japanese media and also for the show itself of like, wait, are you going to... You're going to change now? Please don't change. We need you to remain exactly <laughs> how you are. <laughs> it's a delicate balance. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, certainly. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, I look forward to you following uh, Terrace House through your viewing. And, you know, if I'm sacked out for a significant part of next week, maybe I'll w be watching that after I watch Carol on Tuesday. Um, but I know that I will be definitely watching the So You Think You Can Dance finale, uh, results finale, I should say. This was the performance competition finale this week, top four perform. I wanted to check in with it because the top four they have are ridiculous. They're so good, Noel. Um, there are two, the two uh, top women are both contemporary dancers and the two top men, one is a b-boy, one is a contemporary dancer. But the thing that makes them so compelling is that they are all really good at the other genres too. They haven't been really tested in a meaningful way on on the Latin ballroom in a way, a way that I feel is actually quite an oversight. But um, as far as doing, uh, they, they did like this, this finale, the way they always do the finale is they take the top four and they pair them up in every possible way that they can. And then they also each pair them up with a, a all-star in their own genre. Um, so there are, was it one, two, three, four, five, six couples dances between the four that are at the top and then four all-stars dances and then they also um had a big group number two with the all-stars and it was it was inspired by cats by the way the big group number which was super fun uh but but the this top four like so so uh bailey who i anticipate will win just because he is a uh, crowd fan favorite and is incredibly charming and likable did a badass number with comfort and you know for anybody who watches uh, so you think you can ask you know that when comfort is out there doing her thing to hip-hop like nobody can keep up with her like the other all-stars the other hip-hop all-stars struggle to try to like keep up with comfort and i thought he was right there with her uh so that says a lot about bailey the um for the for the women they paired them with marco who with was with sophia who did this gorgeous Tal uh, talia um routine it was fabulous and then they had mariah with robert and i mean and this i this i know this doesn't mean anything to you Noel, but 
Robert is so great, and anytime anybody's with Robert, they're amazing. Like he, because he's so good. Um, the other person can just be completely comfortable, you know. So he always makes the people, the, especially the like when you see him dance in an all stars routine. That's you know something different. But these these dancers who are, uh, you know. Very, very good at what they do, but nowhere near as experienced. When you see them dance with the All-Stars, it's it elevates them to a whole other level because there's just this level of experience and trust that that other person can bring that their fellow competitors can't bring just because they haven't been doing this as long. Especially in a season like this one where the top ten were, were all pretty young, all things considered. But, um, and then, and then, um, the final, the, the other, uh, top four is, just really, really, he's just so good. And they put paired him with Mel, M- Melanie, and um, for another gorgeous routine. And yeah, it's. It, I really think any of these four could win, and you'd be okay with it because they've just all been so good in pretty much every routine that they've been handed. Um, they made the what the off. So like, it's been two couples that were the the top four. Um, that had been paired, and then the pairings worked really well, so that's why they ended up at the, as the top four. So when they switched the partners, they made one do Quick Step, and they made the other do Bollywood. <laughs> in, okay. In a in a week when they also had to learn to, they they also had to learn um, an all star dance in their genre and a, a three other um, partner dances too, and a group number. So you have to learn five dances in a week and we're going to make one of them be Bollywood or quick time, quick step. That's, it's so mean, but it was also it fun. It was really mean. It, it was really fun to watch though. I mean, cause, and so like they weren't great. Right. But they did very well considering that they don't have any background in like old timey dancing, leaping across the stage or in Bollywood. Uh, I mean, and the um, uh, our, our the b boy uh, Bailey, he he was getting nice and low in the in the Bollywood number, because um, of course that's more in keeping with uh, with b boy right than contemporary tends to be taller and longer right. So Sophia was having trouble getting like getting low enough for for the Bollywood number, but Bailey did a pretty darn good job. And I mean, it just it, it was really fun to watch. I highly recommend go seek out um, some of the uh, the routines, and and do some Googling listeners if you're at all interested because there, there've been some really terrific routines this season. The, the two guys had this super cute and charming, um, Hollywood number set to the girl from Ipanema and, oh, nice. uh, yeah, completely coincidentally, um, some of my students are doing a bossa nova song for the first time in orchestra. And, cool. and so I, they're, they were talking about what bossa nova is and like, it sounds like elevator music. I'm like, Yes, it gets used for that a lot because of, you know, it's super chill and relaxed and fun. And I was like, you know, it's a really famous song, Girl from Ipanema. And I can't show you the So You Think You Can Dance thing because that's Broadway, not Bossa Nova. But the point remains, you should go watch it. So anyways, I've, I've, I've been enjoying the So You Think You Can Dance, uh, you know, the, the live shows this season. It's still so frustrating just because there's so much talent and you can tell, like... The, they just don't, they aren't given the budget to be able to have enough weeks that you can actually, like, if they did, were still doing a top 20, the kind of dancing we'd be seeing with this group of the top, you know, the top 20 that they cut to top 10 the very next week, we just missed out on so many great dances because the the season is, like, at least half auditions. 
before as opposed to live shows for I'm sure there's a very specific reason but it's disappointing because I would have loved to have seen these these dancers get you know twice as long in theory to to get to know each other and to grow and to to develop um these relationships that that let them be these even more proficient and amazing dancers um when I was saying five routines they also do a solo so that's six routines that you learn in a week to perform on national television. No that's drama. No, no stakes there. No, no. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Anyways, I'm looking forward to the finale. The way they always do the finale is they let each of the four finalists pick any routine they want to do again from over the course of the season. And then they let the, the judges, the judging panel has been very good this season right. too. It's the most balanced, um, I think best like chemistry amongst the judging panel that they've had in a long time. Um, so they let each of the judges pick one and they let Kat Dealey pick one too. Um, so I'm looking forward to seeing what they're going to pick. Cause there is a lot of really strong uh, routines over the course of the season that they could go with. Um, so I look forward to, to watching it next week. And I'm anticipating Bailey is going to walk away with it um, just from mm-hmm. the crowd reaction. Uh, but I, I would be super happy with, with Bailey or Mariah or really any of them. I mean, they're all super talented. So yeah, way to go. So you think can dance dancers and Kat Dilly also still, still wonderful and fabulous and very good at your job. Uh, let's move directly into another show with hosts who are good at their job. The Great British Bake Off uh, Biscuit Week was last week. And this, of course, means cookies for us. What did you think of, uh, first of all, did you, like, I had never connected to the fact that Fig Newton's were a cookie you could make at home, <laughs> which was the technical. The technical was Fig Newtons, basically. And I was like, oh, that's a, like, that's not, of course, why wouldn't, you can make Chips Ahoy at home. Why would, it, like, but I had just never connected that. So what did you think of, of their cookie challenges? Right. So here's the reason I kind of want to discuss this. And I read your review, so I was prepared and I wanted to see if you included a discussion of this and you included a quick aside about this. Um, fig rolls are not cookies, and I do not understand. (laughs) (laughs) How are they not cookies? They're not cookies. In my head, they're, what else would they be? They're fruit and cake. That's their whole deal. (laughs) But, like, that's a cookie. There's definitely a cookie. That's not cake. You don't get cake in, like, a package from the store. You don't get a package of not frosted cake. I mean, if I were in charge, you would, because I don't like a lot of frosting on my cake. But... But no, that's not true. You get like angel fruit. You get like angel food cake, and that's not frosted in any way, shape, or form. And that's cake. It is a cake. It's not. It's yeah. not a bunch of individual small cookies that you would then portion into a lunchbox. Okay, listeners, you need to to give your thoughts on this because I am of the yeah. opinion that obviously, I mean, I don't call them fig rolls, but. Fig Newtons or Strawberry Newtons or any kind of that kind of thing is definitely a cookie. What else would it's it be? Not, it's not a cookie. It's a stuffed like it's a stuffed pastry almost to me. Um, so yeah, I was just like when and they even call them fig rolls, and I'm just like, but then it's not a cookie. It's a roll. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, no. Disagree. Yeah. Don't even agree yeah. to disagree. Just disagree. <laughs> so that aside. Um, I think what really kind of stands out, and you kind of got to this in your review, is that apart from boy band Jamie, who needed to leave, and I have questions about how he even got on this show, is... But he's so charming, though, right? I it... don't find him charming at all. Oh, like, see, I... I just, I don't. It was yeah. definitely, he, it was his time to go, and I kind of felt bad for him, because he was clearly so in over his head. But yeah. have you seen this week's episode yet? 
No, because uh, my because my yes, waiting to watch with your person. You know of course, works. no, yeah, yeah. I do. I do. Um. But the point being that, like, when you see this next episode, you'll be like, I kind of miss Jamie and like the yes, it's this person's time to go. They should go. Yeah, because I didn't feel like the the, the next the bread episode had that in the same way. So I look uh-huh. forward to your thoughts on that. Okay, because like one of the things that I'm really liking about Biscuit Week and what really made apparent is that this is generally a really good batch of people. Like, mm-hmm. they're all relatively competent in what they're doing, especially with stuff that they get to practice. Like, with the exception of um, the organ that Henry made and when he dis- displayed it, I just went, wait, is, is, is that all you're doing? Because mm-hmm. no, that is not enough. Also, uh, where is the keyboard? <laughs> <laughs> I, lo- I love that it is close. <laughs> it's great. Yeah. No, no, it's not. You didn't think about adding a keyboard. Um, dear sweet overdressed Henry and your very cute sweater tie combo. Um, <laughs> but generally, I think everyone is really good to has a lot of room to grow sort of things, which is really exciting to see. Um, I wasn't super impressed by a number of the showstoppers like the turtles cute, but it doesn't really have any business being here, especially with the amount of decoration that it received. But both of the dragons were really cool. And I agree with you that the producers are trying to really cook up a lot of drama with that dragon thing that did not pan out at all because the contestants were not having it. Which, thank you. Yes, no, exactly. Thank you for not feeding into this narrative just because you're making two very differently styled dragons. Um, that both look incredible. Not as incredible as that chicken, because that chicken was nuts. Um, <laughs> and but I generally... love the, the sheep to the lamb or whatever. Yes, that was the sheep so was cute. Very it's little cute. nose. Oh my yes. gosh. Yeah, and that's kind of what I'm getting at. Even like with the tarantula coming out of the egg of like everyone kind of so going. Cool. It was very cool. And I, I, I like that everyone was like, that's not going to work. That sounds really not good. And then it like she finishes it and it's like, oh, yeah, no, that's really good. It looks really good. Oh, and it tastes really good, too. Excellent of type of thing. So that's kind of what I'm excited about this season so far. And you've already seen Bread Week is that everyone seems even when they're not feeling comfortable with biscuits, um, because as you also acknowledge, cookies are hard um, that they're they're coming out especially again with the stuff that they they're able to practice at home they're coming out with stuff and they're putting in the work um and while it's still episode two um and the strain and like the stress of maintaining the competition and your everyday life haven't aren't catching up with everyone just yet maybe Mm -hmm. um there's still time (laughs) but I like that. And it makes the show more compelling on a competitive level of like everything's already feeling kind of close. And I'm excited about that. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And I look forward to your thoughts about Bread Week. And I will say this, uh, the technical, uh, mm-hmm. I have questions. I have questions. You thought that, that the, the fig roll shouldn't count as a, as a cookie technical I look forward to your thoughts on the bread technical. Um, okay. And I, th- I thought that the the um, the signature was was a challenge was a good challenge. Um, yes. Though, like you pointed out in your review, at some point that just becomes a confection and not a yeah. cookie. Yeah. And that was also really that was a big struggle for me because I was just like, all right, you're making a six layered Twix, and 
that is not what this is. Well, Where is the cookie? <laughs> well, and there the judges are like, yeah, but we're mostly grading on the cookie, but also have yeah. all these fillings and these other things. But we're we're totally we're grading the cookie. Yeah, you're not. <laughs> um, but for Bread Week, the I thought the signature was good, and the showstopper was really. They announced what it was. I was like, ooh, ooh, that's interesting. That's creative. Mm-hmm. I look forward to seeing what they do, and I think that they delivered some pretty terrific showstoppers. So I look forward to your thoughts on those. And uh, as as for like. I mean, I feel like the chicken is going to go down as one of the the most memorable, right? right? It has to, because it's gorgeous. It was really, really impressive. Um, And I just, I couldn't get over how really cool it looked. Yeah. Still too early for any favorites? I think so. Um, But I I mean, I've got to, like, I think the three folks, the chicken person, um, I don't know names yet, which is my big problem right now. Um, And both of the dragon ladies i think are like my three favorites right now um i really want to like henry because he is just adorable mm-hmm. um but yeah i think those are like those are my like three favorites right now at least just based on this and like what they've been demonstrating so far um do you have anyone that's standing out in particular well what i think is interesting is i feel like it's different people are really shining in mm-hmm. each episode and so, yeah. and so, like, and, and very few people are really stumbling. There's a few, like, I feel like there's two tiers that are kind of developing. And okay. it's, like, people who could contend for the finale and people who, like, could break into that top mold but but are seeming like they're not gonna but are still really, really interesting and talented. Like, I would put Helena, right, Spooky Helena, I would put her in the second tier. But when yes. it all comes together, like, with a tarantula, she's up in the top, you know what I mean? Yeah. So I feel like there aren't... Because different people, like, after the first week, it was like, well, Michelle's the one to beat. Second week, she did okay, but she wasn't the one to beat, you know? So, like, yeah. it, it 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 depends, you know, which 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 way, um, which, what the theme of the episode is and what the specific challenges are. So, yeah, I'm not sure yet. I look forward to it. Though I do have someone who I think is, is doing really well on the TV side of things, but I'll talk with you about that next week because they get featured okay. more prominently in the next episode. So I won't say anything because spoilers. Um, however, I do want you to say things regardless of spoilers about the queen sugar season finale. I am because I'm behind, but I'll get caught up this week and don't worry about spoiling me. What okay. did you think of this finale? And uh, how do you feel like this, the, the whole season came together? Right. So I'm going to answer that last part first. Um, I, I think that this whole season came together really, really nicely. Um, as much as I really don't like, the Nova arc of this season that concludes really conclusively here with her and Ralph Angel reconciling Um, a little too hurriedly in my opinion, but there was this big drive to really have the Nova story be told across this season. And I really, really like that. And it ends with Nova starting to write a new book um, that in a voiceover, she acknowledges that she's going to start with herself this time as opposed to her family and interrogate her and what she's learned over this year. It's still very self-centered, but it's coming from a different sort of self-centeredness than a more honest place, a more honest sort of approach to it, which I think is really important to represent that growth. Um, But I like the fact that it guided so much of what happened over the course of the season, even if I didn't like, how it functioned narratively in terms of on a plot level. 
on just a sort of structural level for an arc of a season that's contained, I think it ended up working really, really nicely. Um, and that was that, I think, especially by the end where the family has gathered because they've realized that the, um, that the, um, Bordelone, uh, matriarch, um, that Ernest's wife, um, is actually buried on the, on the land. Um, and they find her, they set up a little gravesite for her and they're all gathered around where they believe her to be buried based on how Ernest sort of like walked around the field. Cause there's been discussion about him and Prosper walking through the fields and favoriting one particular area. And it happens to be where she's buried. And that is what allows Nova and Ralph Angel to reconcile. And it is what ends the show with all of the family and all of the family together. And by all of the family, I mean all the Bordelones and also prosper um they're holding hands like and dressed all in white to um to commemorate commemorate this woman and i think it's really good because also we get a conclusion to um that gift um that ernest had for blue and it's a beach ball (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is like really cute and really sweet and like in a sure sign of how far that that um, child has come as an actor is that like he really nails those particular types of scenes really nicely of how Blue responds to this beach ball. But also Mm. how we see Blue, Darla, and um, Ralph Angel at a pool. Like, they mentioned needing to be careful with it and everything, and Blue's like, no, I will be, because it's got Papa's breath in it. And it's like, oh. Oh my god. Oh. Just exactly. Melted the tears. Oh. No, exactly. I, like, completely collapsed in that moment of, like, it's got Papa's breath in it. It's just like, oh, this is so good. Um, And so the season as a whole ends on a series of up notes, basically, of... Nova and What's-His-Name moving in together um, in a house uh, not far from the Ninth Ward. Um, Darla and Ralph Angel completely and fully reconciled. Um, sorry, Eric Tazel, your your <laughs> presence in this show was short-lived as we all knew it would be because no show can contain you. Um, <laughs> um, Vi and Hollywood, who didn't really have much of an arc this season, and exactly how Vi and Hollywood should. They get a really killer scene in a kitchen that's just pure Vi and Hollywood. It's so good, mm-hmm. Kate. I cannot wait for you to watch it. Um, and it ends with um, not a romantic moment for Charlie, but Charlie does get elected to the parish council. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a little bit of a squeaker vote. But that is wherein her election results in the big melodramatic twist of everything um where you will be surprised kate shocked i'm sure to learn that um sam um has been helping um for his own gain shock um when he feeds vi a whole bunch of information to basically destroy um what's her name um his sister who's been francis thank you to destroy francis including all the emails in which it turns out that 
Francis is the one who's responsible for the mill burning down and all this sort of stuff. And like Francis gets completely taken out of the picture, arrested by the state police, all of it. Like she is out, she's done. And then that whole plot concludes with, um, with, um, Charlie, Charlie getting called into the office of the lobbyist that's pushing through the highway and here's your big twist. And she's referenced at the beginning of the episode. It's Sam's mixed race daughter who's heading up the development. Mm-hmm. And so Sam is Sam comes into the office with her and like it's going to be what's really interesting is now the show is setting up this woman as a rival for Charlie. So it's a mixed race woman against a mixed race woman on a show in which race plays a not insignificant understatement part of the show and how we navigate that and what this means for Sam as a figure within the show um, and all this sort of stuff. And the woman who is running this is very much in a right. Yeah, no, you pushed around Francis. You are not pushing me around and I am here to push you around type of deal. So they're very much setting this up as, all right, Charlie's dealt with the Landry's and the Boudreaux's in no small, um, no small measure with high de- varying degrees of success. How does she deal with this Landry who is basically her is what they're setting up. Um, and so I'm eager to see how that plays out um, because Charlie is shook uh, <laughs> when Sam walks in is just like, sh- it's very melodramatic, um, bordering on like soap, um, which I'm okay with. I really want to make that clear of her. When Sam walks in, she literally gets out of her chair and like steps back. away, staggers yeah. back. Um, so I find the scene really, really effective. Um, mileage may vary depending on your tolerance for that kind of um, melodramatic sort of approach i again i really really liked it you know i'm gonna love it yeah no i know you're gonna like it too and gardner is really really good in that sequence as well so i think that they're setting up themselves up really nicely for that plot thread in season five while also basically allowing a number of things to sort of settle from the nova storyline so that they can launch a new series of stories in season five basically okay well, that's interesting. Yeah, I'm looking forward to watching it, catching up, and I'm relieved that from what you were saying earlier, I was worried it ended on a much more down note. So I'm no. relieved <laughs> that there's some some happy endings going on, at least for this season. And yeah, I look forward to to catching up with it. Um, it's occurred to me here as I sit in my you know in, in my current state of awareness with my cold. Um, our next show is a Black Lady Sketch Show, which has finale Born at Night, but not last night. Uh, it's, I realized I didn't actually watch this episode. I just oh, watched no. the Black Lady courtroom sketch. Okay. <laughs> which was delightful, and I really, really, really enjoyed it. Uh, but I, because I was like, do I just not remember the rest of it? Because I was tired and half asleep. No, I think I didn't actually watch it yet. Um, so you'll have to again tell me what you thought of, of, of this finale. And I mean, I can talk about that sketch. That was really nice. You know, you know, I love Vet Nicole Brown and Issa Rae. Um, so, so that was delightful. And maybe think of that, is it in Texas where that one, that one like town in Texas, like voted in, in 2018, like 10 or 15 
uh, black judges or something for like the first time ever. It made me think of that. Um, but anyways, that was a delightful sketch. And if the rest of the, of the season finale was that strong, I'm sure I'm going to love it. But <laughs> what did you think? Yeah, I think that the rest of the season finale is pretty solid overall. Um, there's a, the opening sketch deals with folks, um, going to a black owned restaurant and then I don't want to say any more about it. It's okay. good. Um, but the way that that, ep- that that sequence is layered into itself, I think is really, really delightful. Um, we get the return of Taskmaster Turned and Insecurity um, as um, Crystal gets a surprise hot air balloon ride. Um, and that whole sequence is also equally delightful and surprising. Um, so I really, really enjoyed that. Um, the courtroom sequence I think is also really good because again, it's got Yvette Nicole Brown in it and she's just so good. Oh, I love her so much. Um, and that sequence is really good. And, um, but I legitimately think my favorite one is, um, they do a, (laughs) a sort of react, not a reality, but a game, a, an American Ninja Warrior sort of format show, um, called Get the Belt, in which <laughs> um, a young girl played by, um, what's her name, um, from Blackish. Um, oh, yeah, yes. Uh, Diane. Yeah. Yeah. The, the the actress, young, that's, this with them. Yes. The young girl who plays Diane is in that sequence, which, again, this show's so good at cameos. Um, basically navigates pleasing a tired parent in such a way that she does not get whooped with the belt. Um, and how you navigate that. And it's really, really funny. Um, and the ending <laughs> yeah, is also very, very, very funny. Um, so I think it was my favorite one of that, um, of the episodes here, even though I do really like the uh, restaurant sketch as well. Um, I do like that they just increasingly kind of have the opening sketch be really weird and then kind of settle into other things because the restaurant sketch ends up being really weird. Um, so that is, it's generally really good. Um, the other thing I will let you know is that it's a good thing that they renewed this for a second season because the whole X number of hours after the event sequence ends on a cliffhanger. (laughs) Okay. Of someone knocking on the door. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, huh? Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, everyone's really surprised um, because now like everyone's sort of realized, oh, it's the end of the world. This, this is maybe bad. So I like that this is continuing and I'm just, I want this show to run as long as possible so that whatever narrative prestige TV drama parody that they're doing with this Mm -hmm. continues. No, I'm, I'm, yeah. Super down for that, absolutely. Um, Marseille Martin is the actress from Blackish. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I look forward to catching the rest of this. Um, I'm very intrigued by that restaurant sketch, but I, I've really enjoyed uh, Black Lady Sketch Show this season, and I'm glad it's coming back for season two. It's not one that I think, um, like, the whole, like, sticks in my mind as much as, like, some of the first seasons of some other sketch shows that I've seen, but I, like... My as far as like the hit to miss ratio, it was really high for me. There were only a yeah. handful that I think were like next level for me, but usually on these sketch shows, 
like the the miss the misses are much bigger misses than this yes. one was for me. Yeah, and I forgot to mention. I think what is probably I take back what I said. I think that probably my favorite sketch is the one in which uh, Carl and Lori, who were the couple looking for a threesome at the mm-hmm. church open mic, um, come back with a continuation of that narrative in this episode. Um, and it's really good. Um, okay. it's really delightful. It goes exactly where you think it's going to go. And then it zags real hard right at the end. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm yeah. intrigued. More on that next week when I get a chance to see it, in theory. Uh, um, let's round out our weekend TV with DuckTales, which had the golden armory of Cornelius Coote, Time Foon, Glomtails, ooh, I don't know, I can't, it's been too long since I watched it, and the richest duck in the world, and Moonvasion. Um, so uh, I, I thought that these had a good blend of, uh, of of the threads we've been seeing around um, the kids responding to Della's return. I thought there was like a, I was waiting for the twist by the way in Typhoon that actually Louie didn't start the whole thing, but that it was the junior woodchuck research <laughs> that actually kicked things off, um, which didn't come, which would have been fun. But, um, but I thought it was a good blend of hijinks and comedy and character um, and the ultimate moon invasion. I thought was, was solid. It was a good end to the season for me. What did you think? Yeah, I think as a set of episodes, it's generally good. I think that there's like, there feels like there's a lack of breathing room sometimes. Like um, the Golden Army of Cornelius Coot, I think is an okay episode um, that relies way too heavily on buttermilk jokes because it's not how buttermilk works. Um, as I was watching, I like forgot that buttermilk was a thing on its own. And I was like, oh, like butter beer, but they're kids. So buttermilk. And then like later as I was watching, Kate, that's an ingredient in things like buttermilk biscuits and like pancakes and all sorts of other, it's an actual thing. It's not, it's not a game of thrones. I was like, oh, you need more sleep. You need more sleep, Kate. Go, go sleep. (laughs) But, like, kind of exploring some of, the, like, you you mentioned, like, exploring how each of the kids are responding to Della being back. I really wanted a bit more with Della and Webby in that episode um, in, and figuring that dynamic out. Because one of the things that I really liked within Moonvasion is that Webby is included in this escape. Um, but also, like, the show can't quite necessarily figure out how Della fits in. Like, Glomtails is a... We can talk about Glomtails, but, like... Glomgold's whole concept of destroying, making matches against the family. I was waiting for Della to be the one that solves that problem since she's not in the picture and she's the wild card and she, they don't find Mm -hmm. a parallel for her in the group basically. Um, But that didn't happen. And instead it's Louie who solves the problem. So we can do the richest duck in the world with a really weird Solomon Grundy we can talk about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think that there's decent character stuff, but I think that overall the episodes are just really fun. Even if they sometimes like with Typhoon don't really push themselves as far as I would like in terms of we've got a bunch of crazy time travel hijinks. Okay. But this was just really an excuse for you to do a Baba cameo. And he's my least favorite of the DuckTales characters. So meh. But overall, I do think that it's really good. And I think Moonvasion generally works really, really well. And it's really fun. And I like that Glomgold saves the day. But I also <laughs> appreciated 
the way in which they very quickly made sure that the gods just don't solve their problems, despite the numerous Dewey Ex Machina jokes of like, no, 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 no gods, but <laughs> type stuff. So I, I appreciated that as well. I thought that Invasion was very well paced and mm-hmm. like how they, how, when they would bring in new characters, when they'd be like, aha, but you forgot about this person. Um, I thought it was, it was just a really like well-structured uh, approach. And I liked the discussions it was having around fear and courage and when, like, no, it is 100% the right thing to take these small children and run. That is the correct yeah. thing to do. And, um, like, it, I like that Louis absolutely figures it out first as well, um, of course. So so the, for me, like, the the especially with a double episode, like an hour-long episode for them, I think it would have been easy for it to get tiresome or to get repetitive. Yes. And I think they avoided that pretty well. And I, yeah. like like you, I also enjoyed Glomgold saving the day. But not just that. Like, specifically, his plans that are so terrible that they couldn't possibly be the actual plan. And so Lunaris, like, was, like, looking for a plan within a plan, because Scrooge yeah. McDuck would never do this. Like, I thought it was great. It was super fun. And the um, <laughs> the later reveal of the shark inside the spaceship was just delightful. It's, it's so fun. It's good stuff. It is. And, I mean, I really appreciated, like, how Glom Tales, uh, as an episode, just really focused on collecting everyone. And then just, like, having a fight happen type of deal, but then, like, not really, not making that the centerpiece, really. Because the centerpiece was collecting all of these people and also watching Catherine tape voice Magica while doing birthday parties. Because, (laughs) yes, just a hundred times, yes. Um, So I think just generally there's really good little bits in this, uh, but as a collective whole, it helps to kind of, and getting it all at once, I think is also helps taper over, taper over any sort of like failures in terms or like cracks in narrative or anything that kind of become apparent when it's spaced out, you can get, you get to enjoy it as a big unit. So I think that was generally really really uh smart and i feel really bad for darkwing duck um yes no one paid attention to him but one of the things that we should also discuss is just how weirdly dark this show sometimes is um (laughs) from the little light bulb robot committing suicide by unscrewing its head that was Um, dark man that was dark. Um, there's the fact that Gyro doesn't know if he's a clone or not anymore. That feels really dark to me. Um, then the Launchpad theme song takeover was just like, is Launchpad trapped in an existential crisis? I'm really concerned about Launchpad right now. Even though this is strictly not a canonical, I, that just feels really dark that he's just trapped in that loop. Mm-hmm. Yep, pretty much. Yeah, I I absolutely agree. Like, the light bulb thing was, like, the one that really stood out. I was like, because it's played for, for jokes, and it's so dark. It's like, they remember this is for kids, right? Uh, and if I, if I was a parent watching this with my kids, I'd be like, ah, don't worry about that. Pay no attention. Don't think about that. You revisit that when you're an adult later and go, oh, that was dark. How did I not notice? That's what's the best thing for all of us. Yeah. Oh man. Um yeah, the the handling of I still like, I still think that they're doing such a good job cuz you're right, there are some holes here and there. There are some um 
turns that would have been more satisfying, like you were saying with Della, um, with the glam tales. Um, but I think they're doing a good job with the blending of honesty and escapism responding mm-hmm. to Della being back. And so, like, like the aside, like, Louis um, saying, oh, I just jumped into a thing without thinking about all the people I heard and everybody I was leaving behind. Sounds familiar, huh? And everybody else in the room is like, oh, yeah. sick burn, sharpen, take a breath. But it doesn't, de- doesn't, like, derail everything else that's going on. They don't refute it. There's, it's like, there's, it's never, sh- you know, argued that that isn't a completely valid and healthy and, not, and honest reaction. But also you can't do this. But we're not going to tell you that you shouldn't feel this way. So I, th- I thought that the way that they're balancing all that, that's they don't try to make really it better yeah. by the end of the episode. Yeah. You know, that's, they don't try to fix it because that's not something you can fix in an episode of DuckTales. So I, I like that they seem to be like inching the kids. Like, and, and, and these issues come up when the kids are dreaming, when they're stressed out and in a pressure situation. That's when there are these outbursts. And specifically from Louis, because that's more his character, his personality. Yes. But I, I, I think that. You know, the way that you continue to process that is really interesting and a, a real sign of maturity from the writers and respect for their viewers. Yeah, and I, I think that is a really good point. And I don't want to short sell when they do good stuff. So I really appreciate you highlighting that because the, the Louis stuff, especially across these particularly Typhoon, Glom Tales, and to a lesser extent, Rich is Stuck in the World, um, because again, that episode's just really weird. Um, even though, gosh, I just feel so bad for Owlson. Like, Lady just wants to run a successful business. And she keeps getting, like, has to work for these these weirdos. And I just, I feel real bad for Owlson. But I I think that there's just really good sort of Louis stuff here um, that culminates generally really nicely in Moonvasion and him realizing that. And again, one of the things I do want to quickly re-mention going back to the darkness thing, how just visceral for you was the Mickey Mouse Wilson castaway thing? Because, and then having uh, Gander eat it? Stop eating. Stop eating. eating Wilson. Stop eating Mickey. Yeah. Because I was just like, oh, oh, we're going to do the Mickey Mouse voice too. Oh boy. Yeah. This is a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yep, very well well uh, mentioned. Good good point. Should bring that up. That was appropriately. Yes, very dark. I noted that uh the one of those that we're supposed to like the, the cousin we're supposed to like has a watermelon slice shaped piece of watermelon as opposed to a head shaped piece yeah. of watermelon. Very very intentional choice there. So yes. Yeah. Um, um yeah. So one thing that we both experienced is that our DVR recordings cut off right near the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. Um, so I and my person like immediately went to our on-demand service and we're just like, we're going to fast forward to the end so we can see what happened. And then it was fast forwarding is not available for this playback. And we went, well, we're not going to let this play for 44 minutes. We need to go to bed. Um, so, but you read what happened. So what happened? Um, because apparently big twist and listeners, Kate has not, Kate knows this, but I very specifically requested that she not tell me until just now. Okay. So, and, and I could, this could not be all of it. There might be more because my DVR like yours also cut off, but apparently it's revealed, um, that we've got foul back. Uh, Oh, fun. Okay. Yeah. Including Gandra D is on foul. 
And they show okay. several of the file members from the original series who I don't think we've seen yet. Um, but they also reveal that the board executive board, the board of directors, are on file. That makes sense. Um, oh, that's exciting. That would also explain why they're bringing in, like, literally everyone from the Disney Afternoons with the exception of, like, gargoyles um, yeah. in the future. Oh, that's really exciting. I like that. I'm I'm very intrigued, and now I'm gonna have to go to YouTube and see if that clip is see if that clip is there. <laughs> yes, yeah, so no, they've decided that the McDuck family is too um, basically like mercurial and causing too many problems, and so it's okay. time to end their adventuring days. Okay, I like that as a concept. I like that as an overarching concept after doing the moon stuff. Um, yeah, that's really good. Um, oh, one last thing I do want to note is. The co- the really consistent rearrangements and recontext re um rearrangements of and rearrangements of the moon theme and Della's song throughout Moonvasion were really really good. Like I really liked how they kept finding different ways to play that song. Um, mm-hmm. My person looked at me and went, "This is a really good like space battle song," and I just went, "It's the moon theme still." They just <laughs> they just completely rearranged it. You can hear it, and I was just like, "Yes." My Kate's improving my musical ear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also a really memorable moment yeah. from the show. So it shows how well they have uh, utilized that theme and really stitched it into the 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 the, the, just the entirety of the show. So yeah, no, it's good stuff. Well, what wins your week in TV? Um, I mean, you, almost you have some ter- choices. I do have some choices. I mean, it's almost Terrace House, but it's also because it's just back. But I haven't mm-hmm. finished it, so I'm not willing to totally totally give it to that so i think i'm gonna give it to queen sugar um since generally a really solid season or a really good finale with a really good um cliffhanger for them to go into season five so i think i'm gonna give it to them um so queen sugar wins my week uh what about you this week well i'm tempted to give it to so you think you can dance because it was sure just really good but i think i think i'm gonna give it to ducktales because it was just so fun but I think actually, so you think you can dance was probably a better two hours, like of, compared to other so you think you can dance versus Ducktales. It's not; it's it was super fun, but it's not the best Ducktales ever, you know. Yeah. But I'm still gonna give it to Ducktales. Oh yeah, no, and we should also mention uh, Patriot Act had its uh, season finale. They'll be back in November. Um, they talked about the policing system. Uh, the episode was fine. I mean, you can't do a thirty minute policing broken policing system episode and it go watch problem like, areas yeah no go watch the entirety of the first season of problem areas and it's a much better concept um we should also note that uh minaj was uh asked to testify in front of congress about the student loan debt crisis and i just encourage all of you to go watch that it's about five six minutes uh he was specifically invited there by maxine waters and uh well at least her staff <laughs> um <laughs> And so I encourage you to go watch it. It's equal bits, things you already know about the student debt crisis, plus stand-up. And it's just, he he literally asks, like, one of the whitest Republicans I can think of, are you, ta- are you a Swifty? Just let me know. Just tell me. <laughs> um, and it's just like, oh, boy. Oh, boy. This is good. And I really appreciate this irreverence. You're not really adding too much to the discussion that none of any of these people already know, but it's good. It's good viral content. It's funny and it's good viral content to raise awareness and to let 
a g- section of politically tapped in people know that this is at least being discussed in Congress, at least in committee, regardless of whether or not anything's actually going to get done about it. Yeah. Well, and also people who, uh, like, we know more what's going on with this student loan crisis because yeah. we aren't as far removed from it, but, like... Sure. Get, like, one generation up isn't necessarily yeah. as aware, um, especially if you didn't have kids <laughs> that went yeah. through no, it. Yeah, no, that's super fair. So, so you know, I don't know who exactly this is going to reach that doesn't know about it, but if it makes the rounds and it goes viral enough, there are people who might go like, oh, really? I had no idea that tuition rates had gone up by like 500% while the yeah. wages went up by 10% or whatever it was. Um, not 10%, but more than that, but still nowhere near what the tuition has gone up. So anyways, the point being, uh, it was good content and it was, it was a, he did, he did well in that so mm-hmm. thank you for mentioning it now we will take a break and come back with our season spotlight on she season three we'll be right back after this my whole life people have been hiding the truth from me you must know where i came from answer me i shall bring forth my armies to crush the rebellion hordak's plan could destroy everything together we can all bring this war to an end <laughs> never a dull moment with you there's no time we have to go That was the trailer for She-Ra and the Princesses of Power, season three, which dropped a, a ways back now at this point, a couple weeks back, a few weeks back oh, on Netflix. Over a month ago, August 2nd. What? That's yeah. ages in, in yeah, 2019 no. TV. We're so behind. Uh, we apologize, everyone. <laughs> well, Wait until we get to Mindhunter next week. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were, we were, I think stronger than most on season one of She-Ra and, and had different mm-hmm. thoughts on season two. Yes. What did you think of season three? So I think one of the things that's important to think about, and like Noel Stevenson mentioned this in an interview with Polygon, is that don't think of it as season three. Think of it as the second half of season two, which I think is sort of important because they were kind of conceptualized together. And that kind of gets demonstrated a lot in that season three is really heavy on the narrative and propelling things to a type of conclusion, particularly in the finale, where the conclusion is actually fairly definitive in a lot of ways of, all right, this is what the world looks like now. Also, hi, big bad. You thought (laughs) it was this guy. No, it's this guy. Um, So I think that there's generally some really good stuff, but I think that one of my, the big things about season three is what they do for Catra in particular, I think is really, really good in this season. And I think that that combined with um, the finale and some of the Scorpius stuff as well, I think the Catra and Scorpius stuff is just really gangbusters this season and overshadows literally everything else apart from um, everything with, um, oh goodness, what's his name? Um, 
Entrapta and Hordak. Um, it's also interesting, and I have questions, but <laughs> generally, I think the season's really good. Um, and I think that more so than when Voltron uh, transitioned to these shorter six episode um, seasons, Shira handles that transition a lot better. And um, in a more cohesive, satisfying way, whereas a lot of Voltron's choppiness, especially when it made this transition initially, was really apparent that they were just like, oh, we don't have like a really, we don't have a spine for these episodes. Um, And this season of She-Ra definitely, I feel like, has a really good spine to it. Even if some of that stuff with Adora and Mara and the whole concept of She-Ra is still kind of a little squishy, despite really wanting to push that mythology a little bit. It's made up for, again, by the Catra and Scorpia stuff in particular. Um, so you haven't had a chance to watch all of this season, but what you did get to watch, how did you feel about it? And what do you think about Gina Davis just becoming the official guest? She elevates any Netflix sh- series she is on um, go-to person because she voices um, Huntara in this season. Uh, well, first of all, I'm so... Uh, on the same page as you with um, the the half season thing, because the first half season, which is season two, is it was really frustrating because the story just started to get going and it was the end of the season and it did not feel like the end of a season. It was a mid season break. And then season three is the second half of that. And viewed with the, at least the episodes that I saw um, viewed with season two, it's a much more cohesive whole. And I think the second half of this story arc. So season three, works much better in that truncated mm-hmm. format than the first half did. And, uh, and I, but I do think that all the Mars stuff would have been so much more effective if I had seen the, the like lead up in the first half of the season or in season two, I should say about like all this, you know, did she go bad and what happened? Like that would have been much more satisfying in season three. If, if it was all part of one story and not broken up over several months, I thought that everything with um, when they go out to the desert, they go out to the Crimson Waves, the Crimson, Crimson Desert, that all worked really well. And specifically as like a break point for this is our mini arc and yes. then propelling into the next thing, into the next thing. It was really uh, narratively satisfying. I do agree that Gina Davis is wonderful. However, I don't actually love all of her performance in this. I think that she's really great in some of it and in other stuff. She again, I know how the, this is how most animation is recorded but i really wanted them to feel like they were in the same room and they did not always feel like they were in the same yes. room yeah and uh so that was a little distract especially with given how cohesive the banter usually is amongst the people mm-hmm. the characters on this show um so i but i liked i thought it was a, a fun take on that character um and i think you know if you're getting a, a badass uh warrior who's seen it all and is not sure if she's ready for one more fight. I think Eugenia Davis is a pretty great casting choice for that. So hey, awesome. I was like, I was like, this is totally Gina Davis, and I'm looking it up because I'm not gonna get ducktailed on this, um, make myself, you know, look like an idiot on the podcast. Uh, so so yeah, that was that was super fun, and I liked, um, you know, you were saying also Catra and Scorpia. It's so good. It's so good what they give them in this half. And, I mean, it's always been strong, the stuff that they give both of those characters individually and together. Um, At at a certain point, though, I don't... It'll be interesting to see if they can keep me invested in Catra. 
Yes. Because, um, like, the cycles of abuse, it, you know, it's very interesting and it's very honest and it, it's compelling. But at a certain point, I just need, I need my girl Scorpia to run away and to take care of yes. herself. And I don't see that happening uh, until she gets really, really hurt. And that just makes me so sad. But I love that she's just, like, out in the desert going, like, oh, this is great. I think I'm supposed to be here. I think this is where I will thrive, Scorpia, in the desert. Let's just stick with this for a while. That was delightful. Um, As for uh, Hordak, it was just such a distinct animation choice to make him look like an angsty teen boy version of Hordak. Oh, God, it was so good. (laughs) Sure. I didn't think it was good. I I was like, oh, I see what we're doing now. Okay, so... um, I don't care about you. You're a horrible villain. And yes. I really like Entrapta. And I, I'm, I, I'll i go with you on all the stuff that you're giving Entrapta. But you're not going to get me to care about Hordak. I don't care right. how hard you're trying. And I don't care about Hordak either. I just like that design choice of like, we're going to try for it. And we're going to really, we're going to give him a semi-tragic backstory and all this sort of stuff. And it's just like, we're going to turn him into a sad anime boy. Yeah. And I'm like, I am not here for this. I'm here for this character design because it works with what you're trying to sell me. Yeah. And it's working in the sense that, yes, you're conveying just how kind of beaten down he's feeling. But at the same time, he's still a genocidal mad clone. So we're I'm not doing this. And I'm really concerned again about like the layers of toxic toxic relationships that this show's exploring, particularly through its villains. You're talking about it with Catra and Scorpia, which has been here since day one, and this particular installment of the show really drives that home. And then everything with Entrapta and Hordak also plays into that to a large degree. Um, And in varying different ways, since Entrapta's moral compass is more like bad, true, neutral (laughs) on the alignment chart. Um, And how that functions with Hordak's general sort of evil, not even lawful evil, just evil sort of alignment and how that keeps how that keeps getting controlled by people who use entrapta well and it also it just works so the like this emo boy <laughs> version of the character works so well when they are ending the season with oh but he's not actually the big bad here's yes. the real big bad yeah. um and so shifting that character i mean I, it just was so i was like oh i i see what we're doing here okay huh Okay, um, so so we'll see what comes next with that. Uh, I did really like the you know I, I always enjoy the exploration of of Adora's backstory and like I the just the shot the shots of Glimmer just being like what is going on other worlds that's ridiculous I'm like oh that's so cute but I guess that would be strange to you because the rest of us watching all the viewers know that, like, that's not a... I mean, we already are good with magic and talking horses, so, like, a portal to space is nothing for us. But, you yeah. know, for this character, it makes sense that it would be. So I, I enjoyed that. But but getting to see... Getting some new context on, on the whole Mara backstory I thought was really neat. Getting, um... Getting, uh, this... this alternate reality that we we spent two episodes in i thought that that was a really good use of a couple episodes leading into the you know the climax of the of the season and uh just having like getting to see micah you know it was fun yeah it is and i mean i think that that kind of 
the whole perfect world sort of approach to this kind of storytelling is tired and true, but I think it generally works really well here um, in, especially in the sense that instead of having everyone think Adora's like crazy, which they do, but having Micah cast a truth spell and her already prepared to tell them exactly what's happening and then them being like, well, maybe I got the spell wrong. It's just, it's a really good way of playing with that whole concept, I think. Um, But also just, it just kind of like layers on, again, more realizations of like, this is where we belong. This is who we need to be. And, or flip side of, this is who I want us to be type of thing in uh, Catra's case. But also like Scorpia being aware that, this isn't right. I don't like you. I don't know why, but I don't. I don't. <laughs> um, and then just really playing up like the scariness of who's Kyle? And it's just like, oh, poor Kyle. And also, I'm going to call you Kyle. It's just like, poor Kyle. <laughs> he just needs to leave these people. <laughs> yeah. Needs to go out on the run. I did enjoy how long they stuck. The, like, they just straight up just laughed at that one name. What is it? Tongue, tongue lasher tongue lasher yeah. yeah wow just like and that's gotta be real name the original for, real name from masters of the universe character and it's just like yes no all of this deserves to be mocked because it is bad <laughs> i mean huntara is also not good but tongue lasher i well, mean come on Let's be really clear. This is a this is a narrative universe in which a character is named Nettasa, and that's what she does. <laughs> <laughs> which I they properly lampshade that. in season one when they finally like. Yeah. She's like, and what do you do? And just the dead eye stare of, I toss nets. It's my name. <laughs> <laughs> good stuff um what did you think about uh angela's sacrifice um i think it's fine my big problem with it is that it doesn't get enough play um in terms of how glimmer responds to it and what this means for the resistance slash the princess alliance slash literally everything um glimmer's arc in this season i feel like isn't developed enough particularly her conflict with um angela and i don't like that the conclusion to that is given basically to Adora instead of Glimmer. And that's really, really frustrating. So I'm one of the big things that I want in season four is a lot of Glimmer stuff in terms of how is Glimmer going to deal with basically being in charge now because Glimmer is in charge now. Um, And how she deals with the loss of both parents and the fact that um, Adora got to meet Micah and all of this kind of stuff. I need all of that to be a not insignificant portion of season four um, because otherwise it just feels really dishonest. Yeah. Well, I feel like of the main characters and even including all the tertiary characters, secondary and tertiary characters, the character I know the least is Glimmer. Like yes. as far as personality, thought process, emotions, development, like, I know Bo way better than I know Glimmer. I know Scorpia. I know that little cute little like baby bad guy who hangs out with Entrapta better than I know Glimmer. And that's not good. She's just there to be like the supportive best friend who gets them out of trouble and like says 
funny things and then gives inspirational speeches. Like she's, she's very much a functionary and not an actual character. And we're in, I mean, whether it's the end of season two, as originally imagined, or season three. Yeah, we're 26 episodes in. We are deep enough into the run of the show that that should not be a problem anymore for one of your main characters. Like when um, when the, the perfect world is dissolving, right? And Bo and, and Glimmer go away. It's like, well, yes, of course, because the last character she has to deal with is has to be her equal. And Glimmer can't be, is not her equal uh, narratively, yeah. you know? And so, so that's why she has to be talking to Katra um, because that is, that's the only other character. That's actually probably the character that shows the most interested of anyone. And then Adora after that. Um, yes. But... Yeah, it, that they they've they've got a lot of work to do with with Glimmer. I don't. I'm not actually that optimistic that they're going to do it. Is the other thing, but we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. And I, I I'm pleasantly surprised with the fact that I'm saying all of this about a season four. Where based on where I started with the show in season one, of like this is not a good show, and I think it is now a good show. But I also think it's a show that needs to still grow a lot in a lot of ways. I think that they've got a good beat on themselves now, um, but there's still there's still a good bit of work to do as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely was more positive than you from the yeah. start. Um, but yeah, you're right. They've got a lot of work to do still. There, there's a, like, I enjoy the show, but there, I mean, it can be even so much better than it already is. So we'll see what they bring in, in season four. Do you have any requests? I, I would very much like to see Bo's dads again. <laughs> Yeah, no, both dads need to come back um, as much as possible. Like, I would love them to just kind of pop up as advisors to um, Glimmer. Um, and just, like, that would be delightful. Um, I also think it's sort of time to, like, kind of give us a more Scorpia stuff, backstory type deal. Um she's talked about a number of things in passing and I think sort of really kind of digging into that a little bit more as well is probably a good idea. Yeah, I think that the conflict between we really like Scorpia and you're aligned with bad people who are destroying like the universe has gotten to a point where it's really hard to look away. Like they've seen enough of what the Horde actually does that for Scorpia to not engage with that is a problem. Yes. For 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 us to for at least for me to keep buying her character. Um and like Entrapta is so in her lab that I can see that. I don't have trouble believing that or go- going with that. But Scorpio's out in the world with Katra, and that's yeah. very different. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Well, any final thoughts on She-Ra and the Princesses of Power Season 3? Besides, you know, if you like da- brightly colored Lisa Frank princesses, yeah. watch this show. It's super fun. Yeah, no, it is generally super fun. And this season in particular, I think, is a really good step forward for the show. So I'm looking forward to season four. And I feel like season four, the people will be able to just like jump right in, like watch it previously on trailer and jump right in. Yeah. I think that's super duper fair. Um, since the show isn't particularly dedicated to the Mara, um, She-Ra mythology in a way that allows for a lot of cohesion. I think you can just dive in. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, if you show notes here at the end of our episode, you can find a post for this episode over at theteleverse.org, our website, where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV and what you thought of She-Ra Season 3 and anything else. You can email us, theteleverse at gmail.com. You can like our page on Facebook and start up a conversation there. You can also find us in uh, Apple Podcasts with an M4A chapter feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed. We're up there as well as in Stitcher, so we'd appreciate ratings and reviews. It helps other people find us and lets us know that you're listening. And of course, we are both on Twitter. I am at the Televerse and Noel, you are? At Noel RK. Uh, thanks so much for a good discussion, Kate. Thanks, Noel. And thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Televerse. <laughs>